Welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. Thank you for joining us for the latest episode, which this week features the highlight of one of our Cicerone live events that we ran during the 2020 lockdown as a way to inspire our outdoor community at a time when we couldn't travel. I'm Hannah. And I'm Amy. Um, And this week, the live event that we're featuring is our event of the Cambrian Way, where we spoke to quite a range of different guests. We spoke to Cicerone authors of the Cambrian Way guidebook, George Todd and Richard Tyler, as well as members of Ramblers Cymru, Will Rennick and Ollie Wicks. Will is the president of the Rumblers Cymru and he talked to us about walking the route in 17 days while Ollie was on the waymarking team and had the delight of putting in the last waymark of the Cambrian Way earlier this year. For people who don't know, the Cambrian Way is a challenging three-week mountain trek through Wales from Cardiff to Conway. The 470-kilometre route crosses wild and rugged terrain, often sticking to long, beautiful ridgelines and visits many of Wales's highest mountains, including Snowdon. Now, Hannah, you've been at Cicerone longer than I have and the guidebooks of the Cambrian Way, you'll have worked on that as the marketing manager. Yeah, it was a really exciting book to work on, actually. It's always great to get together with people who are really passionate about the footpaths that they represent. But the Cambrian Way Trust are absolutely dedicated to the Cambrian Way itself. And they're continuing the passion that Tony Drake started for the route. So it was really exciting to work with them. And I was lucky enough to go to their book launch in Cardiff and get to meet them all. And I think that sense of community and really caring about the route really came across in our live event talking to our four different guests you know from the the Cambrian Way Trust and also from the Ramblers we hope you enjoy listening to the highlights from our live event in this podcast and if you want to watch the whole extended hour-long video version with photos and maps of the route and more audience questions you can go to the Cicerone website www.cicerone.co.uk where you can find the video recording for this and all of our previous live events. So first we spoke to Richard Tyler, one of the authors of the guidebook, who gave us a brilliant overview of the whole route from Cardiff to Conway. Hi Richard, if people aren't familiar with the route of the Cambrian Way, could you explain where it goes and the sort of landscape that it travels through? Yeah, certainly. First of all, Cambria, it's an old name for Wales. If we've got any um, people in, say, America, i better say explain where Wales is, because very often people, even in Europe, don't know where it is. If you can imagine where England is and where Ireland is, then Wales is the bit that sticks out into the Irish Sea. So... The walk itself starts in the capital of Wales, which is Cardiff, and there's a wonderful reconstructed Norman castle there where you start. Then you go through, I'm going to gallop through this, I'm afraid, because uh, (laughs) it's uh, nearly 300 miles. You go straight into Butte Park, which is a wonderful park running up the River Taff, and that takes you up onto the first of the wonderful ridges. You pass Castell Corch, which is another reconstructed castle, which is well worth a visit. By the time you get to Macken, you're very much in the old coal mining area of South Wales. 
there's a, a, a gallop through Pontypool and up and over with a very steep descent to Abergavenny. And uh, from Abergavenny, there's a wonderful long ridge which r runs right through the Black Mountains and takes you past Capel of Fiend, which is quite an iconic place, this very historic place. You do a strange thing for a, a route going north in that you turn south down to Crick Howell, which is a delightful market. And then you go over Munith Clangunida, which is an amazing limestone area, which has got hundreds of sinkholes of various depths. And also something called the Chartists Cave, which was all to do with the Chartist movement in the 18th, uh, early 18th century. There's a fantastic traverse of the Brecon Beacons with Penavan, which is likely to be one of the most crowded places you see before you get to Snowdon, the top of Snowdon. And then from the Brecon Beacons, uh, you drop down to Kuntawe, uh, Glintawe, which is at the top end of the Swansea Valley, which is the other main city in Wales. At last, you start walking north. There's some relief when you turn the corner and start walking north to Llandovery, uh, which again is a very historic drover's town with a wonderful statue of Llewellyn, the last Welsh Prince of Wales. After Llandovery, you're in the Cambrian Mountains. You have a wonderful walk up the Dothy Valley, which brings you to the most remote youth hostel in Wales, which is Tinna Coronel. It's a fantastic place to stay. That then takes you to Strata Florida, which is the Welsh equivalent of Iona, in that it's where the, the Welsh uh, buried their princes in centuries uh, long ago. And then there's another wonderful stay in Clyre the Bothy, it's a very remote hostel in uh, an area known as the Alinith, which is the largest wilderness area in England and Wales, closest to London, which is 200 miles away. Then go down to Devil's Bridge. There's an amazing waterfall there, which is worth having a look at, the Rydal Falls. And then you're over Plinlimon which isn't a terribly high mountain, but it's very... After that, you come to Delive, which is the remains of an old lead mining town. The whole of this section is exceedingly remote. Then the route takes you again over more high ridges to um, Dinas Mouthwe, which was known at one time as the Chamonix of Wales. You go over some fantastic um, scarp, high scarp ridges arrive at a place called Bochlin Bach, which is the start of the most fantastic traverse of Cadaridris, which is a, an iconic and legendary mountain in Wales. Really is a superb walk. And to, to add to that, it actually takes you down to the sea at Barmouth. And so you get an ice cream and see a donkey and then set off up into the what is the most difficult section of the walk from my point of view, or from many point, people's point of view, uh, the Rinogai, which are two very old, huge mountains, a uh, series of mountains, 
which are basically just solid rock, especially the second section, there's no vegetation there. So you have to pick your time to go over that very carefully because there's no shade, there's no shelter from the wind. And you'll see that on that section, there's various variations which are enable people to escape in bad weather or avoid the tops if necessary. So, and I would say that there's about a 20 mile section and there's only one place to stop, which is a campsite right in the middle, Kumbachan, which has got no facilities whatsoever. So <laughs> no way of getting food or water or anything there. So after that, we're off to Beth Gellet, again, which has wonderful legends about it, Arthur's Hound and all that sort of thing. And then you're starting on the, the big mountains of the walk, Snowden itself, which is ascended by the South Ridge, which is the second half of the Snowden horseshoe. Then down to Penna Pass, which is taken by the Miners Track. That has a good youth hostel. It's got a wonderful tribute to Tony Drake, who, who left a lot of his money to um, the YHA and they spent it in uh, helping to refurbish the or rebuild the hostel there. So then you have a, a, a huge climb up the, down to Ogwen and then you've got another huge climb up the Carnevi. I should explain that in the, la in the last three days of this walk you'll climb nine of the 16 highest mountain tops in England and Wales so it's a tough area. It's an area where people train to go to the Himalayas and climb Everest and things. So up over the Carnevi and then about another 18 miles downhill, virtually all the way to Conway, where you'll find another huge castle, Norman Castle. And then if you've got any energy left, you're down on the North Wales coast, you can do the about 800 miles of the Wales coastal path just to finish off. <laughs> you described some of the ridges that you go through and the mountains that you cross. Who would you say the Cambrian Way is actually suitable for as a mountainous trek? That's easy. Very experienced hill walkers, mountain walkers, with good mm -hmm. navigational skills. Because sat-nav doesn't work in a lot of places in the mountains. You really need to uh, carry a map and compass with you if you can. The guide's got good maps in it. And also you need to be able to carry heavy loads over very difficult terrain. We're going to go on to talk to George about the history of the route. It does go through so many different places from Cardiff Castle to Conway Castle. Would you say that it's a historical route in that sense? Oh, yes. There have been waves of people from Stone Age times uh, see, nobody lived in Wales before really 12,000 BC because it was covered in ice for, for centuries. But different people from the Stone Age, the Iron Age, Bronze Age, Romans came looking, a lot of them, for, as you can imagine, from what they're called for metal, lead and, and gold and uh, silver. And, of course, they've, they've left their mark. Wales is called the um, castle's capital of the world because it actually has the remains of uh, 600 castles in quite a small country. And uh, it was obviously fought of for, uh, over, for many years. 
The Normans, for example, took two years to subdue the English, but 200 years to subdue the Welsh. And they did that by encircling the Welsh with huge castles. <laughs> and then, of course, the Welsh built their own castles, and so it goes on. But there's so much to see in the... Every uh, mountain is covered in uh, cairns, which were Bronze Age burial sites, and it's just fascinating. And of course, the social history of Wales still has its own language, one of the oldest European languages. It seems like this is a real kind of cross-section of Wales and Welsh history in a physical sense and also in a social and uh, historical sense. Thank you, Richard, for taking us through the route. And yeah, we'll come back to you uh, towards the end. Yeah, that's a great pleasure. Next, we spoke to George Todd about his role as a trustee of the Cambrian Way Trust and the history of the route. Hello, George. So you and Richard wrote the book to the Cambrian Way, um, the Cicero Guidebook to the Cambrian Way. But you're also a member of the Cambrian Way Trust. You're a trustee of that. Um, so I thought you'd be a really good person to talk about the history of the route itself. So yeah, so it obviously has a very detailed and quite long history. So could you talk us through this route that kind of came from Tony Drake? There is a lot to say, but uh, I can try and condense it down. As you said, Tony Drake was the originator of this, and it's over 50 years when he's, this whole thing uh, came, the concept of the Cambrian Way came into being. For anyone who wishes to see a full account of all the details on our website, on the, that's the Cambrian Way website, on the, under the history page, there's a full account written by Tony Drake himself. If you're interested in the, the details, then you can go to there. But briefly, it's all started in a, around the 1960s when uh, Britain's first national trail was opened, the Pennine Way, and this inspired lots of people to start looking at walks in other parts of the country. One of these people was Tony Drake. He also uh, was involved with pathways around Gloucestershire and so on, and started wondering why nobody had actually proposed a long-distance walk through the, the length of Wales. And he proposed in 1967 a walk which was enthusiastically taken up by the Ramblers uh, Associated, as it was then. Now, uh, initial surveys were done from Kapler Finn to Snowden. That's um, about the start of about day three of our walk to three days from the end. But uh, it was soon decided that really this should be made into a coast-to-coast -coast walk also have a castle-to-castle -castle scenario as well. Now initial surveys were done from uh, around that uh, those sort of areas of the route with various different options proposed by different people and but unfortunately like a, a lot of large committees and things uh, <laughs> they didn't see eye to eye and there was a lot of disagreements and it's all sort of started uh, falling apart and nothing was really resolved. Tony Drake decided after quite a long time, which is about 1982, he decided that if he made it an unofficial walk, because it's all on public rights of way and things with uh, permissive access, nobody could actually make any objections because everybody was free to walk along that route. So he set about it himself and producing his first guidebook, uh, which is really just a uh, 
almost it wasn't photocopies i think it was one of these old machines where you wind the handle around until the, the thing wears out and eventually went on to more uh, guide books where you know which were uh, properly printed so that's about the roughly the idea of the how everything came about if you're interested in discovering the cambrian way yourself please head on over to the cicerone website where you can get a 25 percent discount on the guidebook type in cardiff 25 that's with a capital c at the checkout we hope you enjoy reading the guidebook and discovering the cambrian way the history of this route as george has explained there is really fascinating and it's really nice to see how the cambrian way has grown through the years and developed and one of the things that has also been developed is uh, the way marking so the route is now fully waymarked and we spoke to Ollie Wicks, who, as part of the Ramblers Cymru, was responsible for waymarking the route. It sounds like an enormous job, waymarking a 300-mile <laughs> route. An enormous job, but I have no complaints, so I cannot <laughs> complain. To try and hopefully give everyone a bit of a an idea of size of the task at hand, as you just mentioned, in terms of length of the route, but also the number of partners that we've had to work with to, to get to where we are. So we've now officially fully marked the trail. But what I would say at this time is that there are not going to be markers at every single sort of sort of key place you might want one there won't be one on every single sort of style or gate we've as Richard and George have touched upon the route is it's a difficult route it's mountainous you need to be a relatively skilled walker especially in certain places and I think the way marking reflects that so we've done it as a sort of reassuring kind of style and then obviously you also look at Richard and George we've got pictures of the two of them here it's really been a real sort of massive kind of group effort everyone giving up their spare time and really buying into the project and I think as you can see from Richard and George's images one of the major challenges we have is uh, sometimes the weather it's not, also, not always the kindest but that doesn't seem to stop any of our sort of volunteers giving up their time rain or sunshine they're there to help us and we've also got and then I was lucky enough to put up the last marker earlier in the year I was actually on my own doing this because it was literally pre-lockdown Snowdonia National Park had given us the thumbs up to get the markers in and we were not going to let that opportunity uh, pass us by Big jigsaw is probably the best way to describe it because um, we've literally had to work piece by piece and uh, yeah, we're all complete now, thankfully. I think, yeah, that's really fascinating because I kind of assumed that you would have started, perhaps naively started at the beginning and worked your way through. But yeah, hearing it described as a jigsaw, a lot more sense given that you have to collaborate with all those different people. Before we move on to speak to Will about his experience of actually walking it, why is it important for the Cambrian Way to be waymarked? I think there's a couple of reasons, and I'll try and I know we need to watch time, but I think one of the big things was as my job role and my predecessor, Amanda, were brought on, a big part of it was really trying to fulfill Tony Drake's kind of vision. And I think that was to bring the Cambrian Way to a much wider audience and get a lot more people out there celebrating the route. Of course, we need to be careful with that, though, in terms of, as we've touched upon, it's not an easy route and it is mountainous. So I think the way marking then pays, plays into that side of things. So where we can help walkers so they know they've found themselves still on the right track, that marking is out there to help them. But it's also 
a bit of an advert for us as well. So a lot, the route has been, I think, a bit of a hidden gem for a long time in the sort of uh, uh, long distance walkers kind of uh, arena. And I think we've brought it to um, a wider audience and the markers just help out simply for that as well. Yeah, it ticks a few boxes and hopefully um, Tony would be happy with what we've done. I think he'd be uh, celebrating what we've done. And there are a few of his original markers still out there in the field which is a nice bit of history, which, as Richard said, the route is packed with history. And you actually walk past some of Tony's original markers, which is a really nice uh, feature. Oh, that's absolutely lovely, actually. And it must be really nice to go along and then see your new markers and the old ones. Yeah, yeah. And we've stuck with his original design as well. So we've stuck with the, the, the Welsh lady's hat. So it's got that kind of uh, proper Welsh sort of cultural feel to it. And like I say, yeah, there's some real uh, amazing historical uh, features out there. And I'm just lucky enough that this is what I get to do. Finally, we spoke to Ramblers Cymru President Will Rennick to talk about his experience on the Cambrian Way. Will was the youngest person ever to walk the Wales Coast Path, so he was no stranger to long-distance walking, and walking through his homeland was really special for Will, as you'll hear. It was a real adventure, to sum it up in short. I think... The Wales Coast Path, when I walked, that was my gap year adventure. So that felt more like a holiday. I was stopping in all the pubs. Mind you, I did that on the Cambrian Way as well. Visiting all the beaches, swimming in the sea, going to all the castles and, and taking my time on the Wales Coast Path. Whereas when it got round to when I got round to walking the Cambrian Way, I first of all, I had a job by then, so I needed to get back to that. And that meant I had to walk it quite quickly. So... It was a bit of an endurance challenge for me, but still a real adventure and one that I'd really wanted to take on for years. I'd, so I'd done the, the Wales Coast Path and Offers Dyke, Glindor's Way. I felt like I was building up to the Cambrian Way and it turned out to be just an unforgettable experience. I, I absolutely loved it. Probably the best adventure I've been on. The best way of seeing Wales, undoubtedly. You, you really do get a, a proper feel for the country. Just real Wales, I think. It's very wild, very beautiful. The weather makes it challenging. Even have that bad weather on it, I, I don't think so anyway. But it was still quite challenging. But at the end of it, the sense of achievement was like none other. Uh, it's something that probably, something that I'm most proud of in life. And yeah, I'll always remember getting to Cardiff Castle and finishing up there and going back to my parents' house and putting my feet up and just being, just, yeah, chuffed and, very satisfied with the whole experience. I think you certainly deserve to put your feet up at the end because you walked, it's a 21 stage route, isn't it? And you walked it in 17 days. So I imagine the distances you're actually covering were perhaps longer than most people would walk. I'm, I'm very lucky with hiking in that I don't really get blisters. So, I, so there's not really that much that can stop me. I'll just go and go. I'm a little bit masochistic as well. I don't really feel like I need to stop. So there's nothing to stop me in. Mm. And also I had to get back for work as well. That was the thing. You mentioned that you finished actually at, in Cardiff. So you actually walked the route and reversed what the Cicerone guidebook is. What was the kind of reasoning for that decision? It, it was purely uh, due to the fact that I'm born and bred in, in South Wales. I wanted to walk back to my, my parents' house, the house that I was brought up. It was walking home, essentially. We live only 25 minutes drive from the, the finish point of the Cambrian Way, so... I'd rather um, walk for two weeks and then have a short car journey to, to get a, a glass of wine and a bath rather than walk for two weeks and then get on a train back to London, which is where I live now. You must have done the kind of big mountains first then. 
the hardest section? Yeah, some probably would say that's an error. <laughs> it, it, it makes a real baptism of fire, I think. But once you get through those, you're, you're good to go for the whole way, hoping that you don't pick up an injury along the way. But um, it, it worked out to be the best way for me. I, I was really lucky that I'd, I'd done it that way because I had a week of endless sunshine with not a single cloud in the sky. And yeah, Snowdonia, you, you, you're lucky to get good weather most of the time. So to have blue skies going through Snowdonia, I was, I was very fortunate. That's something that really comes across in um, your brilliant YouTube video, which I think everyone should go and watch if they're wanting to get like a real flavour of what the Cambrian Way is. Because for the first few days, yeah, it's that brilliant sunshine. And then you just hit the rain, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it came suddenly and it came heavily. And uh, I, I, I felt a bit foolish because I was saying how lucky I was for the, the week that I'd had a amazing sunshine and almost bragging about it on Twitter. And then all of a sudden I was in my rain jacket for basically a week straight um, facing up to some pretty bad storms as well. I remember getting a tweet from Derek Brockway, who's a Welsh weatherman. He's a bit of an icon in Wales. Uh, he tweeted me saying, watch out, there's, there's thunderstorms on the way. And I should have listened to his advice, but I didn't. I, I, I carried on at Cader Idris and that was what led to me ending up with my tent blowing down and me having to bed down, bed down in the lavatory. Oh, gosh, yeah. So what advice would you give to people then to avoid that sort of experience or to deal with it? I'd say, first of all, know the route before you go and do it. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean go and walk sections bit by bit but pick up the Cicerone guidebook that's the best thing you can do really I, I wish that was around when I walked it it, it was only uh, published a, a couple of years later and I could really have done with that when I was doing it so I, I had to make do with laminated screenshots of OS maps stuck into my into the front pocket of my waterproof jacket and they didn't last very long either so I'd say know the route and get the guidebook definitely I think also give yourself time to enjoy it. Don't rush it like I did. Uh, take a good chunk of time off work or maybe a sabbatical and, and just take time and, and revel in it. I think that's probably the best thing you can do. What else would I say? Do it with a dog as well. <laughs> say if people only have a week to do this route um, or like do a section of it because of you know time constraints and Will said that people should take their time and enjoy it. Most question for you first, Richard. Which section would you say people should you know, spend a week on? It's difficult to answer that because it depends what you're looking for. If you wanted a, a sort of walk with a, an easy, easier start with bigger mountains towards the end, I would say the first section, uh, Cardiff to Llandovery. If, like me, you like solitude, then I would say from Llandovery to Barmouth, because you'll meet hardly anyone, apart from on the top of Cadridris. But then if you want a high mountain challenge, then definitely Barmouth to Conway. It does really seem like there's something for everyone. Oh, there is. For instance, uh, my friend and I, when we walked it, did it in stages over a couple of years. And uh, we started on the, at Cardiff on the 1st of November. And we did the whole of the, the first section over the winter, which did involve wearing crampons on uh, uh, Penavan and the Brecon Beacons. But, uh, yeah, but we, we achieved it. 
we've got a follow-up question for you, Will. Um, which part of the Cambrian Way did you find most difficult? If I hadn't had such good weather, I would have said that Snowdonia would have been the, the hardest section for me. But the weather was so bad when I got to the Alenid and Plinlimon and the Desert of Wales, as they call it, that it probably would be that stretch because it, while Snow, Snowdonia is technically challenging in terms of the, the rock that you've got to get over and the, the amount of ascent that you've got to take on, Plinlimon and, and that area is so, so wild. that It's a wilderness like no other. You'd have to go out to Scotland if you, if you want to experience that kind of thing. And w- when you couple that with the navigation as well, there, there are sections where you do have to take a bearing to make sure that you, you, you keep on the right track. What about you, Ollie? What would you say the most rewarding section is? I think one of the most rewarding bits for me was probably the western side. I really love the western side of the Brecon Beacons. Dropping down into Llandovery, and I think from north, I think Richard mentioned this earlier, you go into the uh, Doythia Valley, and it does offer what Will just described, actually, that kind of, you do feel like you're in the uh, sort of middle of nowhere, really, with the wilderness there. But the, the hidden gem then in the valley, as you get to the far end of it, is the is Tina Cornell Hostel, which is a really key and really amazing location for the Cambrian Way. There's a bench there dedicated to Tony. And I think that's always been one of the little hidden gems for me that I really loved that section. So yeah, Slandavry to Randomoyne through the valley there. And, and beyond then is what Will just described. You are sort of out in the wilds. Once you leave the hostel in Tien Cornell, there's a red phone box, which is an amazing marker, not too far away. And then after that, you're, you're on your own. That was Richard Tyler, George Todd, Ollie Wicks and Will Rennick talking about the Cambrian Way. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast. You can find out about our upcoming live events at www.cicerone.co.uk forward slash events. To keep up to date with the podcast, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or go to the Cicerone website. Do let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving reviews on your podcast platform or emailing us live at cicerone.co.uk and let us know if there's any topics or routes that you'd like us to cover and we'll try and put an episode together for you. For plenty more Cicerone content, you can go to www.cicerone.co.uk where we have over a thousand articles on Cicerone Extra and you can also check out our full range of guidebook titles and sign up to our newsletter. In the meantime, you can search for Cicerone Press on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or join our Facebook community, Cicerone Connect, to connect with other outdoor enthusiasts. We hope you enjoy listening to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast and that you are inspired to set out and explore the outdoors. See you soon.